You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings to all our listeners. Welcome to the Voice of Islam. It is Sunday, the 7th of August, 2022. The time now is 9.05. You are listening to Voice of Islam on DAB Radio, mobile and online, 24 hours a day. Broadcasting live from Adhikatul Mahdi at the UK Jalsa Salana. We can well show you the current affair show with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports and all things current, a message of Islam for the West. Join us and share us your stories by phoning 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views of the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. And joining me this gorgeous Sunday morning from Hadikatul Mahdi live in the studios is Saf Ahmed. Assalamu alaikum, Saf. How are you? Wa alaikum salam. Wa alaikum salam. It's, uh, it, it really is a glorious morning. It is. Uh, it's the third day of the Jalsa. And uh, talking of the Jalsa, the very first Jalsa took place in 1891. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Hazrat Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Muslim community, the promised Messiah, his uh, he has some profound words for that deal, sir. What did he say? He said, The primary purpose of this convention is to enable every sincere individual to personally experience religious be- religious benefits. They may enhance their knowledge and, due to their being blessed and enabled by Allah, the exalted, their perception of Allah may progress. Among its secondary benefit is that its congregational meetings together with, will promote mutual introduction among all brothers and it will strengthen the fraternal ties within this community. Indeed, uh, very profound words, and, the, and, and, we, and we feel that, we experience that when we are here, don't we? Absolutely. Funny, we were actually mm. walking, I was walking with my five-year-old yesterday as we were walking around. <laughs> Obviously, every second person that you meet, yeah. you sort of, you know, you sort of stop, you say salam, you know, you catch up. But many of the people I'll know from sort of from the past or having worked yeah. with, and then he actually asked me, he said, Daddy, do you know? Do you know? Do you know, do, do you know everyone here? <laughs> and, I, and and I said to him, and in a funny way, I said, in, in a way, yes, I kind of do. And, and, and with this, we do. And, and I think this is what this the second, second aspect of what Correct. the Promise Society is saying is coming from. Joining us in the studio also is uh, Philip Gent, Mr. Fermin. Experiences of Jalsa? Uh, for this year, mm. uh, it's been again um, much anticipated, um, but when you come here you you kind of you forget how special it is mm. and um just just to experience experience it again is is such a privilege yes and um as as Ahmadi muslims we carry soft hearts our motto of love for all hatred for none means that we inculcate that in the way we 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 walk the way we talk and and what we do but um to have that magnified with thousands here just brings a very special feeling to it the It is whole a place. special feeling, which, yeah. uh, as we were saying, as we were walking up, even the food tastes lovely here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that is yeah. another important aspect of, of the job. Well, I'm not going to say it's one of the reasons why I come, <laughs> <laughs> or the main reason, but it's one of the reasons why I come. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Zaf, uh, we've got lots on the show this morning. The voice of Islam conveying the true message of Islam. The message of peace and promoting love for all, hatred for none. What have we got for our listeners this morning on this lovely Jalsa day? Well, just uh, as we've just been introduced to uh, Philip this morning, um, uh, who, 
will be in the uh, in the studio with us discussing some of the top stories in the week's news. Um, he himself is a prospective candidate for the Tory party. So it will be interesting to get mm. uh, some of his insights Indeed. into the current Tory leadership between uh, Rishi Sunak and Liz, uh, Liz Truss. And, and obviously afterwards, Waleed will be joining us by phone after that. And he'll be giving us more of a breakdown um, of um, uh, details about the first Jalsa Salana that was held in, the, in Guardian in 1891. Even for all those Jalsas, I've never really looked into the first Jalsa. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward it's, to that. Funny you say that because, you know, even men when you mentioned it, yeah. I, uh, I thought, yeah, that's something that we probably don't discuss uh, yeah. d discuss often enough. No, not enough. Anyway, we, we'll do that. And what about what have we got for behind the headline segment after the 11 o'clock news? So we'll also be joined by uh, Sheikh Rahman Saab and Azhar Amadi, uh, who'll be joining us after the 11 o'clock news. Uh, inshallah, the Ahmadiyya Jamaat, as we were just mentioning, has been growing rapidly around the world. So um, this has not happened without persecution and the sacrifices of many people. So. Um, uh, which is which we've had to face ever since our inception. So we will be discussing what sort of persecution mm. the community has faced and how they have faced those challenges. And there's some serious human rights factors Absolutely. into all of this, and we need to look into that as well. I and mean, we'll do that. I'm sure Sheikh Rahman and Azza will enlighten us with some much much of that. Uh, anything from the community news that uh, after after 11:30? Yeah, we've also got Henry Smith, um, an MP that attended the Jalsa a few years ago and addressed mm. the Jalsa audience. Um, something he says was a very special moment speaking to an audience of over 40,000 people. He often narrates that to me. That <laughs> really? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite an awesome experience to do that. Well, uh, he'll be joining us to, uh, to tell us about his impressions of the Jalsa and uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in general, um, having also had an uh, audience with Zurakdas on quite a few occasions. Indeed. Philip, uh, you, you're very good uh, connected with some politicians yourself. Jonathan Lord is one. Has he been to the Jalsa? Jonathan actually has has not been, right. but he's been to several other events, hasn't he? Oh yes, he's yeah. he's a he's a very loyal attendee and participant of mm. our events, charity walk for peace, yeah. the recent platinum celebration here, and at the Mubarak Mosque right. in Guildford. Yeah. Yes, indeed, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, we might have Shahid for the sports segment because uh, he is quite busy, so he said he'll try to make it. If he does, then we'll have. Uh, the Premiership, which has begun. Yes. Uh, yeah, yep, uh, yep. We'll, we'll, we'll began and we'll be discussing a little bit of that as well. Thank you, Seth. Always, always a packed show with lots of interesting news stories, both political and faith-related. Anyone eager to comment or share their stories or views can do so by phoning 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Voice of Islam on Dab Radio, mobile or live stream on voiceofislam.co.uk forward slash live. This is the Weekend World Show with Aslan Ahmadi. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. Right, we're coming to the first segment of our show, uh, which is the News Review. Just been called for Donald The decision Trump. taken to join the common market has been the reversed. should call a general election. Order. Weekend World. Questions to the Prime Minister. Behind the headlines. Right. Um, uh, there's no appetite for war. Palestinians fear new Israeli offensive. This is reported by the Al Jazeera. Israel's attack on Gaza on Friday was weeks in the making, a deliberate act to gain legitimacy uh, with its public. Uh, with its public, says the Palestinian observers, as Israel embraces or braces for new elections in November. What else did they say? 
Uh, on Friday, Israel launched missiles throughout the besieged Palestinian enclave, killing 10 people, uh, including a five-year-old girl, <coughs> a 23-year-old woman, as well as Taisir al-Jabari, the commander of Islamic Jihad's military wing. The previous month-long conflict killed more than 260 Palestinians, with uh, Tamar Gormud saying, everyone is nervous, there is no appetite for war. Um, and he spoke from the Doha Institute of Graduate Studies. Yes, and they carry on saying that Gaza has witnessed four or five major conflicts over the last 50 years. We are still talking about the reconstruction of the Gaza Strip. Gaza has never really recovered its lives from conflict to conflict, it told Al Jazeera. So yeah, Israel's deadly attacks came after Israel. Israeli forces arrested Bassam al-Sadi, a senior member of the armed group earlier in the week. Al-Sadi was detained during an Israeli raid in the West Bank city of Jenin during which a teenager was killed. Uh, Philip, I mean, you're in the po political world and you, you must be following so much of these stories. In terms, I mean, we're not going to solve the crisis here, that's for sure. This crisis has been going yeah. for a long time. But when you look at the news, I mean, I picked this article from Al Jazeera mm. and it shows you a different bias to what, what BBC and Sky will tell you. Mm -hmm. And when you look at their news, it's about militants attack Israel and you know, following what Israel has done. Mm -hmm. The emphasis changes from there. And normally it's the militants of, of, uh, of the Palestinians who are the ones who are at fault. Uh, and, and, they're not, and, and because of the social media now, people are getting a different view. And mm -hmm. in fact, we had a guest on and he said, you know, I never knew. Uh, I, I, I was with someone uh, recently and he said, you know, up to about five years or ten years ago, I was totally convinced that the Palestinians were at fault here and, and Israel was the victim. He said, I've changed my view completely because he now accesses news, not from the BBC or Sky, but from other sources as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is Israel losing the PR war now because of social media and the bias that the Western nations have, have given them? Well, I think um, to me, it, it, it was it's, it's it was never a question of um, either the Palestinians being absolutely correct or the Israelis being um, absolutely incorrect or vice versa. Right. It was it I was it, 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 it was never in my mind uh, a question of that. Um, the historical um, the history of of, of Palestine mm. has has a huge bearing on on the current day. Um, scenarios that are playing out, um, and we we cannot ignore we cannot ignore that we we are where we are. Um, in my opinion, um, a two-state solution, mm. where uh, both states are autonomous and independent, yeah. is 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 the way forward. And I think that's recognised internationally, yeah. including at the United Nations. Um, but at least, at least the Palestinians are now getting a voice, which previously they were not. Yes, uh, to an, to an extent, to an extent that 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 is that is that is right. Mm. Um, but what I would say is that for peace to prevail, yeah. we cannot give space to the extremists on both sides. Um, and I and, and and undoubtedly. So are you saying? Are you saying that the Palestinians who were kicked out of their land, the land that they owned, are now Rightly termed as terrorists, I'm not. I'm not trying to find their land back. 
I'm I'm not I'm not saying that, but there there is a way of 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 living peacefully together. Um, as I said, we are where we are. Uh, we cannot reverse not just uh, what's happened in Palestine, but all over the world. Right. A similar scenario has existed in in most parts of the world where ethnicities have wanted to. Uh, dominate a certain area yeah. and they've done what they've had to do right. so that a certain ethnicity prevails mm. now that's that that's the way it is unfortunately um, but what I would say is that we need bold leadership if we think back to um, Sadat and Rabin both paid with their lives both paid the ultimate sacrifice but in coming to an agreement where Sinai is given back to Egypt um, and a peace accord was agreed between Egypt and Israel. We need a, we need a bold, bold, bold leaders on both sides. At the moment, unfortunately, we, yeah. have, we don't have that. Sure. Uh, let's do a little clip of uh, uh, the situation in Gaza, so we, uh, just to hear what, what happened, right? And I'll bring Saf into this. The airstrikes killed the intended target, but in the tightly packed streets of Gaza, civilian casualties are almost inevitable. It fuels the anger of those trapped in the blockaded Palestinian territory and perpetuates the conflict. The Israeli military released aerial footage of the missile attack on the apartment block. It shows four separate explosions and floors collapsing within the building. Islamic Jihad confirmed its northern Gaza commander, Taisir al-Jabri, was killed but Palestinian officials say a five-year-old girl was among others who died. Dozens more were injured. Seth, I mean, listening to that, I mean, a five-year-old girl has been killed, mm. uh, and, and, and that's not even in the main headlines, right? A, a young Israeli or an elder Israeli will be killed and it will be on BBC front page. In terms of what Philip is saying, the two-state solution, mm. And he's right, I think, that two wrongs do not make a yeah. right, and, and Palestinian leadership sometimes needs a better guidance. Yeah. But they're certainly the victims here, there's no doubt about that. Mm. Your views on that? In actual fact, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of what Philip was saying, I, com you know, I completely concur with, in the fact that we are where we are in a situation. And uh, I think the issue that I think has happened is we keep on looking back, and everyone keeps on wanting to look back that th such and such happened, and you know, mm. X, Y, Z. What's caused, I think what keeps on causing this escalation mm. is one side does one thing and it's, it's again leadership. It's lack of, I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, everyone keeps on coming out, <clears throat> sorry, pardon me, with this kind of, I'm very, I'm a strong leader. Mm. Hence, I will do X, Y, Z, you know, I will do this. When actually, I think it kind of does the opposite. It's yeah. actually very weak leadership, which says, just because you're saying that something happened to me, we're going to go in and bomb X, you know, we're also going to bomb the whole of the strip. Yeah. Uh, creating uh, an issue. We've seen this, and I, I have to say, I think you've seen it in Israeli politics more more, more recently. It's really, really gone very far to the right. Yeah. Uh, and there have been a lot more extreme people. Uh, people were talking about Netanyahu and making a lot of crit criticisms about him. In actual fact, the replacement have actually shown to be, as, as if, not as more, if not more, if not more. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have an issue where the leadership amongst both sides is getting more and if you also look at you know Hamas and the PJ PIJ you know members of those <coughs> uh, militant sides they're becoming a lot more 
vociferous they're becoming a little bit more stronger is it in, because, in their response is, is it because the situation is getting worse absolutely and that's what i'm saying the response then you know like becomes without uh, condoning what uh, absolutely absolutely and this is i think this is the main point you we, we don't want to condone the violence but yeah. definitely you do have to say that you know when when a superpower of israel's state yeah, can yeah. Can pretty much. I mean, you know, at, they can at, do at the click, at the click of the fingers, yeah, they can do pretty much what they want. And in those they two do. Areas. And they do. They, this actually requires, actually, from the Western sides and their partners and their allies sure. to turn around and sometimes turn around and say, "Look, you need to. You, you're the bigger person here. Sure. You need to be the one that uh, is able to." You talked about a two-state solution. Um, that means that the Palestinians will have their own authority on their own land. There'll be restrictions, I'm sure. They won't be allowed to have their own army and things like that. Uh, but for that to happen, surely the first thing that's got to happen is the stopping of the developments in the occupied territories of the Israelis. And they are kicking out, uh, destroying the houses of Palestinians and building on illegal developments on occupied territories now how can they go back to because you mentioned about getting sinai back how can you go back to the 1967 borders if that continues surely that is a provocation it's it it, it may well be seen as a provocation mm -hmm. uh if if you were a palestinian but if you were a jew living in israel it's completely within the law no, because it's illegal it's not illegal within within there's a law in israel that um is just for the Jewish Jewish um, Jewish people mm. for their right to um, build their state. But, but it's but in contravention to the Oslo. It's in the right? occupied so territories. A, that yeah. is where this is so illegal, it, not within Israel. Mm. It's actually in contravention to international law. Yes. I think there's it's a maybe a local. Yeah. So 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 I think I think we've just 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 got to be careful there. So domestically, it's mm. it it is justified. Mm. Uh, but it may well be against um, understanding of any UN yeah. UN agreement. Would it be justified for the state of government to kick out Ahmadis of their own out of their houses so that non Ahmadis can occupy them? Absolutely not. It wouldn't. So how Absolutely could it not. be applicable to Israel? No, no. I, I was just clarifying. I was yeah. just clarifying it from from a from a a, a Jewish person living in Israel. Mm. To um, to to what might be the broader understanding sure. of what what is generally acceptable, seen yeah. as generally acceptable. Yeah. No, no, uh, thank you, yeah. thank you very much for those views. Uh, the time you know, in our minds, we must move to the next segment. Uh, Seth, uh, Sunak warns we'll lose election if inflation is rampant. That's reported by the Independent. Uh, Rishi Sunak has told the Tory members uh, to part. Uh, sorry, Tory members to part that the party will lose the two 2024 general election if inflation is not brought under control. In a veiled warning uh, of the risk of the elected uh, as leader, Liz Truss, who wants to slash tax immediately. What else do they say? At a leadership hustings in Eastbourne, the former Chancellor said he was particularly worried about policies that risk making it worse and last longer. As the event began, Miss Truss who was heckled before resuming her speech to blame infiltrators and attack unfair protest that interrupt our democracy. Earlier, Mr. Sunak was filmed boasting about diverting funds away from the deprived urban areas towards the more prosperous areas that deserve it, like Tunbridge, where he was. Labour's Lisa Nandy urged the government to investigate the deeply concerning remarks made at Grafs Tories in Kent last month, 
uncovered in footage obtained by the new statement, and I believe they weren't expected to have that released. No, <laughs> it wasn't was intended the, for the outer yeah, public. Yeah. We've got a clip to play. Let's hear what uh, what uh, Sinek and Trust say. Final question for you, just before we let you go. You were a Remainer, and now you're not. You supported uh, Brits to fight in Ukraine, then you didn't. You wanted to build on the Green Belt, and now you don't. You wanted to abolish the monarchy, and now you don't. You wanted to arm Taiwan, and now I'm not sure if you're saying whether you do or not. You wanted civil I'm servants. We, we do provide them okay. with those. You facilities. wanted to cut civil servants' pay in the regions, and then you said you didn't. Will the real Liz Truss please stand up? <laughs> From all of you, I managed to start changing the funding formulas to make sure that areas like this are getting the funding that they deserve because we inherited a bunch of formulas from the Labour Party that shoved all the funding into deprived urban areas, then uh, they, you know, that needed to be undone. I started the work of undoing that. I made sure as Chancellor across government, not only do we increase local government funding... You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Technically, she's sorry about that. I, said, no, I think you enjoyed listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> Being a staunch Tory supporter. I think we just needed to give him a moment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we've got. Uh, to find out who the re re real Liz Truss is. She was yeah. an excellent dem when she made some of those comments. But, yeah. but, but she's renowned for this sort of speech making where well. they, they grab the headlines for maybe not necessarily the right reasons. Yeah. And there's Sunak, clearly. Remember his video clip when he said, I've got working class uh, friends. Oh, sorry, no, no, no working <laughs> class friends, right? And now here's the other one where he says, you know, uh, I was supposed to take the money from the poor and give it to the rich, the opposite of Robin Hood, certainly. <laughs> is that the trait of the Tory parties? Where do you stand? Is it, right. is it Rishi or is it uh, tr uh, Liz? Right. Um, well, first of all, I mean, both Rishi and um, Liz made those comments when they were still developing their 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 thoughts and where they stood a lot on the political spectrum. And Rishi, in relation to uh, not having working class friends, well, you know, he's come out and said, well, he shouldn't have said that. So, you know, and that's that's the kind of thing you say when when you're young. And so, you know, in 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 relation to the leadership uh, race, I, I I don't think either of those have have a bearing. Um, in relation to Rishi's clip uh, that was just played um, about. Um, the funding um, funding formula. Yeah, um, I think I think, I think that's the more interesting one. I think that's the one that yeah. people are picking up on yeah. a little bit more on. Yeah. So 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 for for example, and I, and I think Rishi's got a very very valid point. They, these funding formulas were agreed uh, during the Blair uh, administration, which is many many years ago now. Um, and and I'll give you just 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 to to, to have a uh, make it make make it more tangible. Um, so for example. In, we're holding our jalsa in 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 Hampshire, mm. um, 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 near to Surrey, uh, and I, I can I can speak certainly in relation to Surrey. Um, 
the funding formula for roads, for example, that goes to the county councils, is based um, only on um, the number of kilometres in the county and does not take into account uh, volume of traffic. Mm. So uh, clearly that funding formula is skewed to um, those, those counties that do not have traffic, do not have volume traffic. And so, you know, it's notorious that if you, if you, if you drive through Surrey, the roads are poor compared to some other parts of, of the country. Now, clearly the funding formula needs to be adjusted to take into account uh, volume, of, volume of traffic. Now, that's just one example. Yeah, but, as, you yeah. That, but Rishi Sunak's comments was saying that I don't want to give it to the poorer. I want to give it to you rich people. I think, Philip, I, I think what, what, what for me, I mean, and I, I'll be very frank, I think what it came across as, again, he's, uh, it becomes about messaging. Right, and, and the way that the message was conveyed was very much, I'm giving you guys back what you deserve away from. He's speaking to an people. audience. Yeah. He's trying to win words here, nothing else. He, it's nothing to do with those policies, I can tell you. Right, well, well, well the way I interpreted uh, what he said, uh, because levelling up and bringing opportunity to everybody in the UK is a, is a key plank of, of, of conservative policy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that, yeah. so, so, for example, I would, I would point to Teesside, where Rishi as Chancellor has worked very closely with the Mayor, Ben Houchin, and brought a huge amount of... Is he a Tory Mayor? He is a Tory Mayor, Is yeah. he talking to Labour peers like uh, Andy Burnham? Because he's saying there is not. Right. <laughs> 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 well, well I, I'm pointing to one example. Okay. I, uh, well, uh, I think I know where this road is leading. <laughs> right? If you're a Tory, we'll support you. If you're not a Tory, we won't support you. And most of the working class are Labour supporters. Well, well, if we if we have a look at the last election, um, there's a, that, you know a huge amount of what what were traditionally Labour voters mm. actually voted Tory mm. because they they were they are aspirational. They were looking for jobs. They were looking to bent to grow their grow their um, uh, to improve their livelihoods, and um, they saw the Conservative Party as the party that would would do that. And and Corbyn was the alternative at the time. Uh, and they did not. They did not see him as providing them with with the opportunity. So, part of the, in order to deliver the manifesto, the Conservative Party needs to deliver jobs. And and and, and Rishi Sunak has developed those free that those free ports. He wrote a seminal paper on this in 2015, delivered it um, during his chancellorship, um, and and that is continuing. Um, it, it makes absolute sense to level up because. Um, most people are attracted to the to the well-off areas where the jobs are, but that causes a huge amount of strain on the amenities and, and the living no, standards of I'm people sure there. I'm sure it does, and, and every, every government has to tackle those, and they might have different ways to approach it, I can understand that. Yeah. So, so we, we, we're clear now that Sodak was addressing the wind votes <laughs> here from the Tories. What about <laughs> Liz Truss now? <laughs> what about Liz Truss? Is she also trying to win votes by changing her views? She wants to get abolish uh, the, uh, the royal family, she wants to uh, change from Lib Dems to Conservative. Does she keep changing that? Is that the sort of Prime Minister she's going to be if she gets it like this? And it looks like she's favourite to do so. I mean, yeah. she actually flip-flopped on her policy almost immediately oh, yeah. uh, this That's week as well. Within I mean, minutes. You know, yeah, within minutes. I've been coming out with this sort of uh, removing the regional um, uh, the pay scales. Uh, I can't remember the exact thing. Yeah, but it was, it, scales, yeah, yeah, and then sort of within 24 hours not only said that she's removing it but also said that the 
that that the uh, that the media misrepresented her. Yeah, so, <laughs> while actually representing exactly what she had written in the press release. Yes. So there there are, there are two valid points here that Liz was trying to tackle, and I think it's fair because if we're talking about taxpayers' money, the money that you and I pay, it's important that that you know there's scrutiny uh, that we're getting value for money, uh, and it's not mm. just going into a black hole where. You know, and we continue to tax people, but there's no oversight and scrutiny on where how that's being spent. So the the point that she was trying to address through that policy was, um, if we have a look at public sector pay and equivalent private sector pay, public sector pay is higher. Yeah. And then if we have a that's that's first and foremost. So the question is, should it be? Yeah. Second question then is regionally you'd expect um, a difference because the cost of living varies depending on where you live and should the pay be, should the pay reflect the cost of living in the different regions. So what she was trying to do, she was trying to say, okay, um, we need to spend money efficiently and, and this is one way of doing it. However, it was ill thought through because actually practically implementing, although a policy may sound good in theory, actually the implementation of it, the hurdles are far, then, far too great. And this and is again the same problem, right? I mean, if you're, if you're already uh, putting a policy forward without having thought all of the, uh, all, all of the parts through, doesn't that show that it's like what? What is this leadership on a whim? Uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> again. I'm, I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just. I mean, that's a good. That's a good point. He, uh, Saf is making, but just to close the, the discussion off. The question is this: that are these sort of policies going to win you the elections when they come around? Because Boris mm. is gone. Already, you've lost your by-elections, and already. The Tories seem to be on the back foot. They've got troubles coming, and these aren't helping. This blue on blue battles aren't doing your party any good, are they? It's it's part of the democratic system that we've got, so we 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 accept it. And what I would say is that the initial blue on blue was quite damaging, mm. whereas now we're getting quite a lot of thought into policy mm. from both candidates. Both are fighting very hard, tooth and nail. And I'm quite pleased at some of the policies that are coming out from both. They're thinking quite creatively. Yes, um, the policy that Liz made, she, 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 I thought it was a strength of hers to, to actually say, look, I'm, I'm not going ahead with this, I've considered it. Sure. Uh, but the, the, this, this leadership race, this leadership race really is challenging the minds of two very astute and, uh, politicians and their teams to come up with policy that's gonna attract uh, uh, that's going to lead to them becoming the leader of the party and then the Prime Minister and ultimately winning the next general election because Conservative Party members will be seeing who is best placed to win the next general election. So policy is important. You put up a brave fight for your, defending your Tory party as well. Thank you very much for having us uh, having on the show. Thank you. And uh, engaging very openly. Thank yeah, you very thank much. You. Yeah, Pleasure to be on the show. Good luck uh, with your future as well. Thank uh, you very much. Uh, we look forward to having you back on the uh, Vita World Show thank once you. again. Thank you. Right, uh, Saf, uh, we're coming up to the Faith in Focus. Um, so we've got uh, Lee Emma joining us shortly. Uh, we're going to be, we were saying about the first Jalsa Salama. Mm -hmm. uh, Hazrat Mizagwam Ahmed al-Salam of Qadiyan, the Messiah, the 
of the latter days and Imam Mahdi laid the foundation of a blessed gathering to help the community achieve those heavenly objectives for which he was sent by Allah the Almighty. Thus, two years after the foundation of the Ambiya Muslim Jamaat in 1891, the first Jalsa Salana was held in Gadian. Ever since its initiation, the annual Jalsa is proving immensely beneficial for the moral and spiritual edification and advancement of members of Jamaat Ahmadiyya. So let's delve into the history of this event and find out more about the history behind this historic event. Um, joining us via telephone is um, is the no, is, is uh, your normal co-host, yes. uh, which I'm stepping in for, <laughs> uh, Walid Ahmed. Um, Walid has a keen interest in the history of the Ahmadiyya Jamaat and Islam in general. Um, there's always a first for everything, Walid. So uh, as we are. As we as we're there for the Jalsa Salana, so good to have you join us via phone for the first time on the show. Um, uh, and not that we're comparing the two events. Okay, we got an issue with the connection. I think there might be a technical issue, uh, but uh, the, the first Jalsa Salana was eighteen ninety one. Philip, I mean, uh, do do you have any uh, knowledge of that first Jalsa Salana? How many people attended? I don't, which is why I was, I, was I was looking yeah, forward. This is, this is um, not a Tory you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, no. attack yeah, by the yeah. Voice of Islam media on you, right? Okay. Uh, no, this is just uh, general information. But yes. that first historic event was the stepping stone to what we have today. Indeed. And so, so the, the community started in humble beginnings in 1889 mm. with the first, first birth of, um, uh, at the hand of the Promised Messiah, Islam. And uh, the Jalsas have, have gone on from strength to strength. We are now in over 200 countries. Jalsas happen in a lot of those countries. And if they don't happen, then they participate mm. through MTA, yeah. listening to the international Jalsa, listening to other Jalsas that are broad and watching other Jalsas that are broadcast from other countries around the world. So this Jalsa really uh, is now you know, tw it's all around the world, and people yeah. from all around the world benefit from the blessings of this jalsa. Indeed, um, uh, Seth, the first jalsa had seventy-five members mm. attending. Right, uh, uh, the, the names of all yeah. those seventy-five yeah. are listed, uh, and uh, the, the promised Messiah. One of the prophecies he made that his message will reach to the corners of the world. Yeah. Right? Now, you mentioned about the Jalsas of different countries. Now, all the countries hold these Jalsas mm. now. So not only has his message reached those corners, but has grown Absolutely. to millions, you know, tens of millions around the world in, in just over 100, 100 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. So that first Jalsa with just a few people, mm. what, if, would they, what would their thoughts have been? I know. That I mean, part yeah, of, uh, this uh, to what we it, have to it, do. Isn't it? I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I look. I'd be very. I had the. I had the honor and the privilege uh, to a large part um, because my father went to Papua New Guinea and essentially he began a jamaat mm. there, right? So you know, so the first, yeah. Yes. So he actually he, be, he you know he started the jamaat there, and I remember when we built the first mosque, and this was after 10, 15 years of being there. There, there was the first mosque, and we had our first jalsa. Oh, right. And I really remember it, you know, like, and it was, it was like that, 70 people odd, you know, like, I think it was about 100 people odd, yeah. and uh, I remember we had some guests that flew in from, uh, from different countries, and, you know, it was this, it was this small, but very, you know, we all knew each other, and it was, you know, it was the first time, it was almost like having, uh, you know, it was, it was like, 
uh, it was like a it was like a gathering more than anything, and then it was like rather a, than just a like just, of, it a was group a, of people just correct, meeting yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, and but yeah, you would never sit there, and you know, I, I remember having that thought in my mind at the time. I mean, I was young as well. I was probably so you know in my it was about fourteen, fifteen when you know, we were doing it, and I remember thinking very vividly in my head. You know, because one of the things that we were actually presenting, one of the one of the speeches that I gave on the day was about the first Jalsa in Kadir. Oh right, okay. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, like this is this is for us. This would be a so yeah, you yeah, know when you ask what those people would have thought. I guess I probably have some sort of insight into it because I, I felt like we you know we were in a similar position at that yeah, point. Yeah. And now you know, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God, even there, you know, like the Jalsas continue every year, and you know they've been slowly growing and gathering momentum. Um, so one also feel, you know, one would almost imagine that you know I come here, I came here yesterday. I think you know, is, um, I, this is after you know the years of the pandemic. You you suddenly realise what you're actually missing. Yeah. You know when you actually walk in again and you see you know like firstly the line of cars, all of the people helping, you know all of the the, the helpers around. I mean it's just to get an organ, you know, just to get this up and running, I mean, take so many people, but we do it so efficiently and successfully. On my way here, I was uh, giving an interview on BBC Sussex and Surrey, and uh, they were talking about uh, the, the Jalsa. They wanted to know a bit more about it. And uh, what they were quite enthralled about is the numbers. Um, and when I was explaining that we don't just invite have this to the event. We might not have it, but obviously not this year. And that that, that really you know, intrigued them. And they said, "Look, I want to come now." Even the presenter was saying it. Now you're in the political world. You 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 deal with a lot of politicians um, in terms of communicating with them. Uh, Jeremy Hunt. I know you you you've been with him as yeah. well, and and others. Chris Galing. I think you and others. Um, and what sort of impact does that have? on them about the Jilsa and, and generally about the, the community as well. I mean, what are their feelings? Huge, huge, huge impact on, on our parliamentarians. Uh, this community is a unique community, um, not only in the UK, but in, in, in uh, all across the world. And that, that is very much recognized by parliamentarians from across the political spectrum. Okay. Uh, Walid, I think we've got uh, our technical issues, uh, I think, have been resolved. Uh, Walid, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, how are you? Uh, sorry, Walid, uh, we, we <laughs> uh, had some technical issues. Uh, we are in the middle of uh, uh, the British countryside, and sometimes the connections aren't that great. So, I do apologize. We were talking about the history of the Jalsa Salana, the first one took place in 1891. Can you tell us, uh, first of all, how did that first Jalsa come about? Give us a bit more flavor to that uh, Jalsa. Well, um, when you look at the records, you find that uh, it came about following the uh, writing of a particular book by the uh, Promised Messiah, the founder of the community. The, the book's name is The Heavenly Decree, it's Money Fatma. Mm. And uh, what uh, the promised Messiah wanted was to be able to uh, share that book with the uh, with his companions and uh, take their views on how to move move how best to move forward and so this is uh, why a meeting was called a gathering was called uh, 
and uh, he invited uh, members uh, to consult them about the best method of putting into practice the proposals made in that particular book. And this uh, consultation uh, meeting took shape as the first Jalsa Salana of the, of the community. And uh, the Jalsa took place after Zohar prayers in the afternoon on that fateful day of uh, 27th December 1991. And here, Mawlana Abdul Karim Sial one of the companions, devoted companions of the uh, Promised Messiah, read out what was this, the latest book. Then uh, this proposal was put forward um, where selected members of the Anjaman, this is the administration, uh, should consider what should be done. And it was unanimously decided that booklet should be published and then to wait for the reaction of the opponents. And the promised Messiah then shook hands with all that were were present. And then this then was the first Jalsa. So it consisted of, of a single speech, a discussion, and then a handshake. Very, very um, simple, very mm. brief. And as far as the attendance is concerned, uh, most uh, records say that it was 75, but I have found the figure of 80 as well. The Imam of the London Mosque, the first Imam of the London Mosque, Allah Abdul Rahim Berg, uh, also has written a biography of the founder of the community. And he has actually put down a figure of 80. But either way, the, what uh, uh, needs to be understood is the, the numbers who attended the first Jalsa were small, relatively small, 75, 80. And it was for, for a particular purpose. And it is on that Jalsa that uh, the founder of the community decided to make this an annual event. Uh, interesting. Uh, that we were talking about the humble beginnings, and that certainly were the humble beginnings. And these people who attended, where did the members come from at that first Jalsa? Well, they came from all over India. I remember this is, you know, 1891 is just two years after the first Pledge of Allegiance. That's, uh, you know, when people uh, were invited to commit themselves to, to the community and to recognize uh, formally their, uh, the, the uh, founder of the community as a promised Messiah. And this took place, uh, that took place on the 23rd of March, 1889. And it is 1891, two years later, that this particular event is taking place. Um, so the community is small. Uh, the members came from all over India. I mean, the, the list is, includes uh, places like Kapitala, uh, Lahore, Sialkota, Bera. Bera is the birthplace of the first caliph. Jammu, Wazirabad, Gujarat, Ludhiana. Ludhiana is where the first Pledge of Allegiance took place, mm. took place in the house of Sufi Ahmadiyan, the late Sufi Ahmadiyan. Sufi Ahmadiyan was somebody who had recognized the spiritual import of the Promised Messiah and wanted to take a Pledge of Allegiance, but the Promised Messiah at that time said that uh, he had not been uh, instructed to do so. So uh, by the time the Promised Messiah was instructed uh, by on high to take the first path, uh, Sufi Amidyan had passed away. So as a tribute to him, as a, an honor to him, uh, this uh, particular first pledge of allegiance took place in his house in Ljubljana. So there were certain, certainly some uh, people alive who were present in Ljubljana who, who then joined the uh, Promised Messiah at the first Jalsa in 1891. And the Jalsa itself, the venue was Masjid Aqsa. There were two main mosques 
uh, at that time. One was Mubarak Mosque, the very first mosque built in 1883. Al-Aqsa was built sometime, sometime later, but it's the largest one. So the Jalsa, uh, as I said, was, was supposed to be one of event. Um, and it wasn't, um, I think I may have said that it was at that Jalsa, but it was the announcement for this to be an annual event was made on the 30th of December, certainly from the record that I was able to get. Uh, and it was decided that it would be held every year on the 27th of December uh, during the Christmas week. So the second Jalsa then took place on the uh, 27th of December, 1892. Wow. Uh, that, I mean, incredibly uh, interesting. And I guess nowadays when we look at the um, the funding of such an event, I mean, you know, it's uh, it is, uh, all budgets and whatnot that, um, uh, you know, very extensively sort of put together. In those days, how was the actual Jalsa funded? And, um, uh, yeah, in, in, you know, how, how was it in actual fact, uh, did it come about and how was it uh, paid for? Well, that's a very interesting question because uh, earlier on in the early days, uh, there was no special uh, fund that was uh, uh, raised to uh, fund or to collect and to uh, to support this kind of event. Everything was basically paid by the uh, founders of the community itself, by the Promise Passai, whatever he had. Uh, and there's an interesting account of this in uh, the records that we find. The account is from Hazrat Munshi Zafar Ahmed Sahib, and he says that on one occasion during the Jalsa, the funds diminished, and me Nawab, me Nasser Nawab, I assume that he is somebody who is in charge, and I also believe that he was a father-in-law of the Promised Messiah. Anyway, he informed the Promised Messiah that there was no food for the Jalsa guests, and upon this, the Promised Messiah instructed that some jewelry. Uh, from his respected wife uh, should uh, be uh, taken and uh, uh, sold and uh, whatever is purchased should be then uh, um, uh, um, done and accordingly Nisab sees that he did what uh, was uh, instructed and uh, uh, it helped to serve food to the guests for one possibly two days but after that time it elapsed uh, Nisab uh, said during that night, uh, during the second night, uh, and uh, the author of this particular account, Mishin says that I was also present. He said that Nisa uh, informed the Promised Messiah that there was nothing left for the next day. So uh, all the funds had, all the money that they had had uh, been spent, the jewelry had been spent, the money obtained, uh, the jewelry had been sold, the money obtained had been spent. And there was nothing left. So upon, upon hearing this, the promised Messiah said, in obedience to God, we have exhausted all possible worldly means. Now we need not worry. The one whose guest these are will himself take care of him. Mm-hmm. So this was his trust, his complete, full, another trust that he was placing in God after having tried everything. And as a Muslim, Zafar Ahmad Sahib, the narrator of this account, then goes on to say that after this, the promised Messiah uh, then uh, was um, calm, and the very next morning, at either 8 o'clock, he says, in the morning, or 9 o'clock, when the postman came to deliver letters to the uh, promised Messiah, the promised Messiah called him, 
to see the, uh, the narrator of this incident, Al Mitra. And uh, he found that the postman was holding 10 to 15 money orders, full of cash, mm-hmm. from members of the community who were not able to attend the Jalsa Salana. They had written a note along with the cash saying that they could not travel to, to the event mm. due to various reasons. However, uh, they were sending money to assist the care of the, of the Jalsa guests. So this is how his uh, trust in God uh, with meager resources uh, were, was fulfilled. And the promised Messiah on that occasion, having see, realized how Allah had supported this cause, immediately delivered a short speech on the trust upon Allah. And he explained that a worldly person relies upon the money in his saving box and trust he can use it whenever he so wills. However, those who have trust in Allah and believe in Him have a stronger conviction and trust compared to a worldly person's confidence on his savings. And it is so, whenever they are in need, God Almighty instantly provides for them. So this is a sort of miracle that was observed uh, in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when he came to, uh, comes to, came to funding. Mm. And we've never ever uh, been short of funding when it comes uh, to the job. So nowadays we have very sophisticated means. People uh, are happy to dedicate, to uh, donate a set amount of their income, members are, for this particular purpose. Yeah, special so fund is based, uh, yeah, a special fund is set up and, 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 and that's how we budget for these and every country does that. Now, obviously, we've, we've learned a lot as well before throughout the this uh, this Jalsa on Voice of Islam about the reasons behind the objectives of the Jalsa. Uh-huh. There were two main reasons, we know mm-hmm. that. And and very powerful reasons and, and that urge others to join in the second Jalsa as well. And you're talking about budgets and, and being held everywhere in the world. The UK Jalsa Salana has simply grown as well uh, since that first Jalsa in 1891. Attendance has increased and now they are being held all over the world as, as we've said before. Uh, tell us about how that Jalsa, how the Jalsa developed here in the UK. When was the first one? And because uh, the numbers we are looking are far greater than that very first Jalsa. Oh, yes, of course. Um, yeah, but before I do, let me just draw your attention to what um, the second caliph said. He said that the founder of the community uh, had predicted, had prophesied that there was going to be a time when um, when he, there was a time, should I say, when he used to live on scraps of leftovers. Mm. But now Allah had established, enabled him to host multitudes in Kazian. So he used to sustain himself for whatever was left over in his house. But now such was um, the benevolence of God uh, on him that he was able to feed multitudes. And he predicted that uh, 300 years will not pass when his message will reach the entire globe and his food kitchen uh, will be providing food uh, not only to Qadiyan uh, but will that this kitchen, this source of food will be replicated in America, India, Germany, Russia, China, Indonesia and so many other countries. And uh, the second caliph was saying that this uh, has been achieved not in 300 years, but in less than 100 years. So this is uh, one of the uh, other uh, blessings of uh, this uh, particular event. And uh, uh, if you look at um, 
the uh, history of the community when it comes to what you just asked about the first Jalsa uh, in the UK. The first Jalsa, as far as the history is concerned, there is a bit of controversy about it, but uh, it is quite uh, clear. It was held on 29th and 30th of October 1949, so a few years after the Second World War. And what we find is that uh, we find a program as to what took place. Uh, it was uh, Mulla Mushtaq Ahmed Bajwa, the Imam of the Mosque, who presided over this. On the first day, speeches on the life of the Holy Prophet were delivered. Uh, there were six guests. I don't know how many guests there are uh, at this Jalsa. At the first Jalsa in the UK, there was only six guests among the speakers. And on the second day, uh, under the chairmanship of Bilal Natal, he was a new convert, uh, addresses were given on why accepted Islam. And later that day, uh, missionaries from Europe who were also in attendance were invited to speak on the topic of the work of my mission. Uh, a resolution was passed. This is also interesting. Uh, on the support that the community had for the institution of uh, Khilafat uh, leadership that is in the, in, in the community. Okay. Um, and it is very likely, although it's not mentioned in the, in the records, that this took place in the grounds of the London Mosque, uh, on uh, uh, 60th Road. A second Jalsa in the UK also took place. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, we've been, uh, because of time and we got you on late, we're going to cut that there purely because of time and, and the delay in the technicalities. But I understand, uh, I understand. Yeah, thank you very much for explaining. I think the, the initial Jalsa and, and the one that is moved to what it is today, but uh, for sharing us those views, it's been highly enlightening and as my studio uh, guests have been co co commenting as well so jazakallah thank you very much thank you very much okay you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed just been called for Donald Trump. The decision taken to join the common market has been reversed. should call a general election. Order. Weekend world. Questions to the prime minister. Behind the headlines. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to our listeners. This is Asan Amdi on the Weekend World Show. With me is Saf Ahmadi, also uh, my co-host for, for the day. And joining us for this session is Mr. Azhar Ahmadi. Uh, we'll give you a bit more insight on that. The Holy Quran, Saf, uh, Azhar says, And surely messengers have been mocked at before thee, but I granted respite to those who disbelieved. Then I seized them, and how was then my punishment? This is chapter 13, verse 33 of the Holy Quran. Yeah, and Hazrat Mizah Bashir the Mahmud narrates that once when he was young, the promised Messiah was in Lahore, and as he walked through the streets, people would stand on their rooftops and curse the promised Messiah. He relates that even that he even saw an elderly man constantly repeating the same curse. On another occasion, someone attacked the promised Messiah from behind and it is even related that at times he would be pelted with stones. The promised Messiah narrating an experience that he himself saw and how the promised Messiah was personally attacked. Joining me this morning uh, is Azhar Ahmadi. Azhar is an accountant by profession but a keen commentator on religion and political matters and a keen advocate of better education in underdeveloped countries and actively promotes 
the message of Islam and Ahmadiyyat. Assalamu alaikum, Azir. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Very kind of you for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> our, our job is to uh, put people in good light. <laughs> this is what Islam teaches us. Yeah? <laughs> to encourage them towards goodness. Uh, uh, exactly. And, and one of the things is that the verse that we just quoted, that the Holy Quran says, Allah Almighty says, that whenever a prophet has come, he has been ridiculed. And the narration of uh, the second Khalifa, of how his father was treated, the promised Messiah, founder of the Muslim community, how he was treated. And that is something which is part of the growth of the community, is it not? That despite the persecution, people um, uh, still join the community because they see truth in, in, in what has happened to them. Yes, indeed. I mean, so this is the um, everlasting message, perennial message of the Holy Quran that whenever uh, a messenger is sent and uh, he is sent with a very sim simple message that you should become godly and you should become goodly. So these are the two fundamental uh, aspects of a prophet's message. And uh, unfortunately, this is what the Holy Quran tells us that whenever a prophet is sent or a messenger is sent, then uh, unfortunately he is persecuted um, and laughed at by mm. the people mm. and this is exactly what we're seeing uh, in the muslim world today vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, attitude towards ahmadiyat because the message of ahmadiyat cannot be um, mocked at i mean you, you do not have to believe in ahmadiyat mm. nobody is saying to the people of pakistan where persecution is extremely severe that uh, you should become Ahmadis. All we are saying is that the Ahmadis who are there uh, should be allowed to profess their religious beliefs openly as they do in England which is a Christian country uh, and as they do in other Western countries and also according to the United Nations Charter of Human Rights everyone is is free to practice profess and preach the message of the faith. And these are the fundamental human rights the charters in the United Nations as well? Yes, these are, and to which Pakistan and all the other Muslim countries have signed up, have signed up to. Yeah. And uh, since you were uh, relating some uh, exalted, elevated verses of the Holy Quran, it should be said that the Holy Quran does say repeatedly that I do not like those people who say something and do something yeah, else. Yeah. So this is exactly the position of the Muslims in Pakistan and in other parts of the world. Yeah. We have heard of persecution of Ahmadis in Bangladesh, in uh, Indonesia, and also other countries like in the Middle East, they're not allowed to profess their faith. So all of this is contrary to the teachings of the Holy Quran. Never mind the teachings of the Holy Quran, they might be too exalted or the uh, Muslims of, of, of today. Yeah. What about the political um, principles? They we'll, we'll come to those okay, uh, as well during the, the, the discussion as well. Joining us also this morning, as always, delighted to have Sheikh Rahman, who's a human rights activist promoting influencing the rights of Ahmadis, having addressed the issues with parliamentarians and human rights organizations. Welcome, Sheikh Rahman. Sheikh Sab, we were just talking that uh, the Holy Quran states that whenever prophets have come, they have been persecuted, yeah. they mocked them. But despite that, 
become victorious mm-hmm. as time goes, as time develops. Yeah. Now, the first Jalsa Salana, 1891, when we were talking and uh, also narrated uh, Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad's personal experience walking with the Promised Messiah, where he saw people cursing him, throwing stones at him, mm-hmm. pelting him, and, and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So this was a real thing that happened to the Promised mm-hmm. Messiah, Salam. Despite that, in 1891, when the first Jalsa were held, only 75 people attended that right. Jalsa. And here we are today, mm-hmm. you know, 30,000, which is less than what we normally get because we haven't invited everyone. But that's just the United Kingdom. That's yeah. just the United... Oh, sorry. Yeah, just, yeah exactly. And I believe the Rabwa, the last Rabwa Jalsa, had yeah. 200,000 people or something. In excess of 250,000 people. I, indeed. Now, as someone who was born in Pakistan, educated in Pakistan, how is life for Ahmadis in Pakistan? when it has gotten, you know, how worse did it get? How bad did you see things then? How is it for them now? Well, I must say that during my formative years, uh, mashallah, Ahmadis were uh, left alone to do what they wanted to do. Right. So basically right. there was very little, uh, you know, admon- admonition uh, uh, of the yeah, Jamaat. Yeah. Uh, of course, there was some, uh, some uh, opposition by uh, by certain organizations like the Khatman Abuat organization and so on. But it wasn't as widespread as it is mm. now. Mm. Because unfortunately with the 1974 passing of the resolution by the Parliament of Pakistan, which subsequently was, by the way, sacked by the by the then military ruler for being corrupt and <laughs> and I'm Islamic in every way. (laughs) So you can imagine uh, those are the guys who passed that resolution. Uh, And and then of course it sort of made things worse during Zia's government in 1984 Mm. when he passed Ordinance 20 which uh, led to uh, criminal proceedings against Ahmadis and also barred them from for example joining the armed forces and mm. if, if mm. you recall we had very prominent Ahmadis who were um, I mean as much as the chief of the Air Force for example yeah uh, who was our who was an Ahmadi and, and two very prominent generals who led the 1965 war yeah so so, so, so the 1974 declaration of declared us didn't have a big impact when they declared us on Muslims but that 81 resolution really 84 really turned the table it did right because it made it a criminal offense yes for for you to profess mm. as an Ahmadi mm. and what makes it worse is then they're claiming that it is a trademark yes. that belongs to the Muslims only yeah so even if a Christian says assalamu alaikum or or Allah or ah. uses the word Allah ah. it, it's it's a criminal offense so it's, it's quite unbelievable. It's, it that is unbelievable. It, it, that, yes. that it goes all against all the grains, as I was mentioning, mm-hmm. against the grains of what Islam teaches us. Well, not just Islam, Islam, what civil society teaches you. Indeed. You know? And, and, and so talking of civil society, is it? Uh, that is not a good image for Pakistan, then. Surely, it's, it's, no, it's, is it, is it, it's got to be quite detrimental to what's happening to Pakistan. Because Pakistan was seen, and Sheikh Sabir Baj for that, that people like Ayub Khan were given. Mm-hmm. You know, presidential oh, yes. treatment when they visited. True. And Judge Zafrullah Khansa became the first UN secretary. So Pakistan was seen in very good light. President uh, of the UN yeah. uh, Commission. Good commission, yeah. Well, well, the uh, image of Pakistan is uh, absolutely terrible. I mean, as far as human rights are concerned, because mm. there are 
human rights, independent human rights watchers who have commented on this. And you know, it is not only the situation of the minorities, which is the Ahmadis and the Hindus and the Christians, which is deplorable. Uh, deplorable, why? Because um, every Tom, Dick and Harry can use uh, the blasphemy laws mm. against uh, the minorities um, and, um, you know, bring them to grief. So, uh, not only that, but there are organizations which are political, religious, like TLP, which is Tehrike Labak Pakistan, which openly advocate that Pakistan should be a fundamentalist Islamic state and that there is no room, especially for uh, Ahmadis there. Now, I'm not sure what their position is regarding the other minorities, which is Hindus and Christians, how they want to shape the future of Pakistan. But this is totally contrary to any human rights um, laws or conventions or, uh, you know, United Nations uh, Charter. So how Pakistan is uh, allowing such religious political organizations to flourish and to have open speech, uh, and they have their TV channels and what have you, and they incite violence against uh, especially yeah. Ahmadis. Uh, so this is uh, deplorable, really. Indeed. This is nothing. I just actually want to pick up on a few points that were raised as well. And I mean, we all have sort of quite a vast, <coughs> you know, we have a lot of international influence. And now, you know, not just Pakistan, but you saw a shift also, for example, in places like Indonesia. You know, there's been a much more excessive anti-Amadi rhetoric and anti-minority. Do you think, is this a societal shift or is it, do you think it's very particular? Is there something particular about uh, Amadis in general that we, we're seeing this sort of negative uh, move towards them? Okay, firstly, let's just distinguish the fact that Amadis profess, don't profess to be Muslims, but are Muslims. Yes, yes. Yeah. Whereas the other minorities are minorities. Yeah. So we d we do not classify ourselves as a minority. We yeah, are yeah. actually mainstream Muslims. Mm -hmm. Our faith is uh, inspired from the Hanafi, uh, you know, sort of branch right, branch of yeah. the of the uh, Islamic. Uh, so basically, we are the seventy third sect, yes. so to speak, because we are the last amongst the sects, and we believe, as most Muslims believe, that the promised Messiah will come. The promised Messiah, we believe, has come. They believe that he's still to come. Yeah. Okay, and they are now. What are we in the 1444 Hijri of Islam? Oh, right. yes. So yes. we have 44 years. They believe that the that the promised Messiah should have come in the 14th century. We are 44 years ahead in time. Yes. So uh, I mean, they're still waiting for him yeah. to come. Uh, now, I think picking up on Azhar's point, uh, unfortunately, the armed forces in Pakistan encourage the use of organizations like the TLP. And, and this was brought about by the struggle for independence of Kashmir and also then uh, lateral, laterally with the Afghan mm -hmm. situation where uh, our armed forces, particularly during Zia's government, mm -hmm. uh, used the the mullah element in Pakistan 
for fighting a jihad, what they call a jihad, yeah. which I don't know how it was jihad, but anyway, uh, I mean, the definition of jihad, again, is quite different to... It is. People, different people interpret differently. Right. Okay. But, but never was I mean, the promised Messiah, of yeah. course, clearly states that the jihad of the current world is the jihad of the pen. Mm. It's not the jihad of the sword. And, and you win the hearts and minds of people. And that's yeah. what Ahmadis believe, and that's what we do. Now, going to your, answering your second part of the question, whether it's Indonesia and uh, Algeria. And whether it's a societal a little shift. Bit, or, yeah, a little bit of Malaysia. Yeah. Um, also in the Middle East, I think uh, it's actually, and also in Bangladesh, That's by right, the way. Yeah. Bangladesh stopped it very, very well. I must say they yeah. handled the whole situation much better than the other Muslim countries because Bangladesh, the, the Prime Minister said, you know, Islam is fine, but you can't have violence in the country. Mm -hmm. So so they took actual, took literally actions against uh, uh, Jamaats like Jamaat Islami, etc., who professed extremism. Mm -hmm. um, and, and therefore, that is what is really needed. I think there is a, a, a societal shift against the extremism and the violence Right. And, and whatever. So, and that, inshallah, will impact, I believe very strongly, will also impact our Jamaat mm -hmm. in many ways that, that people will start or have started accepting that, you know, all these mullahs who were professing this terrible role of extremism. And mind you, they weren't just doing it against the Ahmadis, they were also doing yeah, it against each, against other. each other as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. Bandis, the Barelvis, and so on and so forth. Of course, the, the, the situation with Ahmadis is, is definitely different to all other sects of Islam, including the minorities in Pakistan as well. Mm. Because we are not allowed to profess mm. or yeah. pose as Muslims. I mean, I can't understand how you can pose as a Muslim, but <laughs> and, and, and this has come from the state, does it? It uh, has. What, what Sheikh Saab is saying, yes. right? Well, it's come. So this becomes state persecution. It is. It because it doesn't apply to any of the other no. religions. Yes, no. so <laughs> as uh, has been highlighted, the two landmark uh, events, uh, constitutional events in Pakistan, deplorable and despicable in every manner, are the 1974 uh, constitutional amendment and then followed up by the 1984, uh, which declared, the 1974, which declared us non-Muslim for the purposes of law and constitution, but did not impose any penalties, right. uh, but just, just simply disenfranchised us mm. from all kind of political activity, really, mm. because we cannot vote as uh, non-Muslims. We are Muslims. We are never They're ostracizing the community totally from the from the. From and the and remember that the right. important thing is that there is no definition of a Muslim in the Constitution right, of Pakistan. Right. Okay. So it doesn't define Muslims, mm -hmm. but it defines non-Muslims. Right. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so the other thing is that the 1984 uh, ordinance XX, which was promulgated by General Ziaul Haq. Uh, is probably unique in the world actually because it, it actually says that if you're an Ahmadi and you practice your faith you will be punishable yeah. either with imprisonment or with fine so this is utterly draconian and obviously it led to the migration of Khilafat away from Pakistan to London so this is I mean the situation is so bad in Pakistan as far as the constitution is concerned 
as far as the daily lives of uh, Ahmadis are concerned. And not only in Pakistan, you know, in, uh, for example, in the Middle East, uh, persecution is, is not as open, but as far as jobs are concerned, yeah. and yeah. we cannot practice openly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you are found to be holding Juma prayers in uh, any of these Middle Eastern countries, you, will, they're, they're, you are liable. Uh, to imprisonment and also expulsion mm-hmm. from the country. Now, this is very bad. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, drastic, because people could lose, lose their livelihoods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people who have sacrificed uh, their education and migrated to the Middle East. Uh, so unfortunately, this is the whole case in, uh, you know, this is the entire uh, scenario in the Middle East. And also in Muslim countries, you know, it's yeah. the same whether it's Algeria mm. or Morocco or uh, Egypt yeah. or Iran. It's uh, absolutely uh, intolerable. Uh, Sheikh Sab, Islam teaches us to be respectful. Yeah. Uh, even those who don't believe, even to them, mm-hmm. you know, Islam is required to protect mm-hmm. churches and synagogues. Yeah. This is the Islamic teachings. Mm. Uh, yet the attacks on the Muslim community continue, and in particular, the attacks on the promised Messiah are continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but despite that, the Jamaat is doing well. Let's listen to what uh, the views of some clerics yeah. are, are here. Okay, mashallah, yeah. Jamaat is doing definitely. Yeah. But let's listen well. to this, and then we'll talk about it. We're playing a mullah cleric. Uh, <laughs> so some, th- there's so many experts we can select from, but the one that we're going to be selecting for is uh, this one. And in this time and age, brothers, these Qadianis, as we have mentioned many times, most of them come from India, Pakistan, but it's no longer an Indian Pakistani fitna, my dear brothers. It has spread. One of our Somali brothers came up to me a few months ago and he said, brother, he was a stuff, you know, brother, believe me, he was breathing heavy and as though very anxious he said brother astaghfirullah one of the senior qadianis in the modern masjid is smali brother astaghfirullah as, as the elder was saying one of the biggest qadiani annual gatherings outside india is in nigeria nigeria millions of qadianis in the west of africa and and in, in East Africa, in other parts of Africa, and a regular Qadiani annual gathering takes place in Palestine. And in fact, one of Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiani's loyal, faithful servant, generation after generation, was a family of Palestinians. Their case, uh, but now they've spread their wings all over. They came and settled in England. Our ulama came from there, and Allahu Akbar, they. they pursued them, they started doing international Khatimi Nubuwat conference on a global level where they invited ulama from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Dubai, Saudi Arabia, from different parts of the world, uh, Salafi scholars, Hanafi scholars, every, this is a united front. And to just to make you aware of how dangerous this fitna is, Unfortunately, we've got our own problems. People are saying, oh, Salafi, Hanfi, Shafi, and all this. And, but you can say, in this issue, at least, the whole Ummah has been united uh, for at least 30, 40 years. Salafis, Hanfis, Malakis, Shafis, Deobandi, Brelvi, Al-Hadis, even Shias. Even Shias came on board and on this platform to refute the Qadianis. 
but still Qadianis are spreading. Sheikh, I was actually, I mean, one of the questions I was going to pose earlier on is what do they fear? I think this pretty much <laughs> explained what he fears. So, yeah. uh, but then, you know, uh, we go back to the, the, the main part, then the promised Messiah's message is flourishing. And uh, even whilst no stone has been left unturned to degenerate him or the community, and yet we keep on flourishing. What do you think is behind that success? What would you, what would you put it down to? I think uh, basically what Hazrat Khalifatul Musi the fifth uh, said yesterday in his uh, address in the afternoon, it's basically prayers. Uh, our purpose, our honest, truthful purpose in spreading the message of Islam with peace and with love. That's what we do, and that's what we will, inshallah, continue to do. I was going to say, it really is amazing as a community. We've never advocated any violence never. or any kind, of, any kind of protestation, you know, never. against anyone. Anywhere. And still, we continue to grow uh, to this level. So, so my opinion would be, in answer to your question, that uh, we have the institution of Khilafat, mm. which is mentioned in the Holy Quran, that it is reserved only for a special class of people right. who are righteous and who do good deeds. So, so unfortunately the Muslims of today, they are uh, not following their, uh, their practices, are uh, abominable, if you don't mind me using that word. And you know, Hazur, uh, the, the Caliph of Ahmadiyya Islam yesterday in his speech, he mentioned so many countries in which uh, so much work is being done, not only mosques and uh, missions, but also through Humanity First and IAAAE, the uh, humanitarian works. So Nigeria, Ghana, Burkina Faso, Gambia, Niger, uh, UK, USA, Canada, Kenya, East Africa, also South America, because mm -hmm. I've been following on YouTube our missionaries in Argentina and uh, Brazil. And you know, in Brazil, uh, there's a mosque here yes. in Petropolis. And also in Argentina, we have a mission uh, so we are spreading uh, uh, very rapidly and I'm afraid there's nothing but bad news for the Maldives <laughs> because the fire which is burning in their hearts of jealousy and envy is now, you know, it cannot be controlled. The only uh, route is for them to accept the uh, Imam of the age and if not, they will have nothing except fire, jealousy, Envy, and they will they will hear these reports annually that now we have conquered West Africa, East Africa, South Africa. Now we are spreading into South America. Or, you know, in Europe we have our mosques all over the place, and in 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 uh, North America. But now the next places are uh, you know like South America and uh, humanitarian works will win the hearts and, and the humanitarian works you know they are from our heart it's not as if we want to win their uh, conversions no 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 we are doing nation building we are doing service to humanity except uh, when i was at working at the university i used to confront a lot of the islamic society members mm -hmm. etc and once i was trying to raise money for the charities that we tried to raise money and they, they were the, the first question they asked was who is this money going to yeah. so i would say <laughs> that it's going to the local poor people the yeah. children i said oh no no it's got to go to the muslims 
So, so even the, the charity doesn't open up to the mankind itself, right. it's only for a specific group. Yeah. This is something different in, in, in the, um, the Muslim community. Yeah. I mean, the works that we do, what Azhar just mentioned, mm. the IEEE works, it, it is irrespective of who the faith is. And the Holy Prophet was likewise. He, he was not giving charity to, to his fellow Muslims who had converted, yeah. but he was giving it to people. Yeah. So why is the Jamaat in that mode and the others are not? Well, I wouldn't say the, I mean, most of the others are not, but I wouldn't say that all of them are I agree. I agree. So there are some who actually Indeed. do some very good work as mm. well outside of the, and they don't call themselves Islamic charities or anything, mm. you know, they, they really do good yeah. work. I mean, the Jamaat, of course, does it without any, uh, any, uh, they, they do it because they don't really care which caste, creed, yes. or religion, or even people of non non-religion you know they, they, so we I mean mashallah both you as in you and myself and a number of us have actually been to a number of conferences where we've represented the Jamaat and mashallah we've all been accepted very very well Indeed. and we've, we've actually talked to people of non-faith as well yeah. and they, they just don't believe that you know the, that the Muslim community is doing such wonderful work globally uh, in, in terms, not only in terms of charity, but yeah. also in terms of helping people, as as has been mentioned. Despite uh, our limited resources, yes, and, and all our resources are collected from our own members. Yes. So yeah. we don't get any outside funding. I mean, that's a very major uh, plus point for because then uh, the others are accepting funds from outside and are unfortunately then politically motivated yeah. to follow that particular. Yeah. Uh, you know, donation yes. to its uh, its its, its source where yeah. it's needed. Yeah, yeah. That has also been limited, by the way, over over the last few years now. Okay. Uh, because the those people who were funding them uh, have gone dry themselves in many ways. So, yeah. Uh, and, and, and there, there is a change. There, there is, is a change. change. There is a change. Uh, <coughs> and and in terms of the good works that we are doing. In, Take this Jossa for example, although we were unable to get external guests to come and join us, yeah. uh, yet many politicians, many people in positions are sending messages of goodwill yeah. to the community. Uh, this is important, is it not? That, be, that when, when you've got government people, uh, people in government, people in uh, authority, recognizing the community, it shows you that the, the community is progressing. And the messages that we heard yesterday and we'll hear more today yeah. are, are a reflection of that. Yes, indeed. So uh, we're very lucky to be living in England, you know, where we have very good contact. We, you know, obviously we have freedom of speech uh, to a far greater extent than even other places of Europe. Mm. And, uh, you know, our relations with the diplomatic core, if I can call them that, which is the parliamentarians and the local uh, civil servants as well, the local uh, council members is very extensive. Wherever you go, if you go to Scotland or you go to Manchester or Leeds or you come to Gillingham or you go to Devon, well, we have contact with uh, all these people and we invite them to our uh, open days, we invite them to our uh, interfaith meetings Interfaith meetings, and our dinners and you know, our dinners go down quite well and uh, so this is extensive 
and I think the word, the good word of Ahmadiyyat is spreading not only through religious circles, as uh, Rahman Sahib has said, you know, through interfaith dialogue and meeting with church leaders and uh, Hindu leaders, even synagogues, you know. Our members uh, in Gillingham and all over the, you know, all over the country, I know this in London, have attended synagogues and the Holocaust uh, memorial events. And, you know, we don't have any animosity against Jews or whatever, or Hindus or Sikhs. No, they are our brothers and we extend and, uh, you know... And did the Promised Messiah not say that I have sympathy for all of mankind? Mm -hmm. You know, profound... Uh, mm -hmm. At the time, remember at the time in India, there was great mm -hmm. conflict between Hindus and Muslims. And he was saying, I'm reaching out to everyone. And he did. He, he held the first interfaith meeting, Indeed. the lecture of Lahore. Yes, I see. Yes, I mean, actually, coming back to that, I mean, you you meet a lot of parliamentarians. You you know, yes. you you have uh, uh, you're constantly sort of surrounded by. Um, these, what do they have to say about us? Well, I mean, what are their views about? Um, well, politicians uh, are politicians, <laughs> so <laughs> so they would never say anything bad to your face anyway. Yeah. But I think what is important is that they then practically take that that word. And, and have the implementation strategy. And I think what is what the Jamaat has actually done in the last few years in particular is that we have, we have emphasized to the politicians that it's no good giving us lip service. Yeah. You know, we really need action. Mm. And mashallah, with that influence, the, at the last APPG, for example, uh, we've actually the APVG have drawn up an implementation plan and if you remember Ed Davy for example even suggested that we should take in more uh, refugees from mm. Malaysia and you know under the UN HCR program so yes it's not just lip service but yes. it's actually practical uh, implementation of the advice that they or the good things that they, they say a lot of good things about the Jamaat. Yeah. And mashallah, it helps. It helps because that message is then Conveyed. goes across uh, to the. To in answer to your question, Saf, my uh, slightly different take, I hope. Saf <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mind. Uh, now, as far as the UK is concerned, you know, we have religious freedom. Yes. There. yes. So we are quite uh, independent and we can work independently. So as long yeah. as there's religious freedom, and we can hold our stalls and distribute li literature yep. fine. Now, our work actually is also to spread human rights across the world. Mm. And unfortunately, the message of uh, the Caliph of Ahmadiyyat, unfortunately I say because that's the demand of the age, yep. is that as far as international relations are concerned, there is a lot to be done, not only by Britain, but by the developed world, uh, to stop wars, uh, let's have none of these unnecessary wars mm. against Muslims and other countries. And also we want uh, great investment, you know, this uh, concept of egalitarianism. Of we want investment in Africa, we want investment in South America, we mm. want investment in Pakistan. Although we are persecuted in Pakistan, yeah, yeah. we are yeah, well-wishers yeah. of Pakistan. Absolutely. We want all the best for the uh, Poor people in Pakistan, they are our brothers. Our heart uh, cries out for them when we hear of their, uh, you know, illiteracy and lack of health care and inflation. Mm. So our, pe our, uh, our uh, 
message to the people of Pakistan, the Muslim are all, all over the world, is compassion. And our message to the people of Europe is please behave yourselves yeah, yeah, yeah. on the international yeah. scale. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not have wars, let's not have the international trade in arms, yeah. and let's have more investment in poor countries like Africa, Mali, Niger. Uh, so that's the message. Indeed. Uh, we were talking about parliamentarians. Uh, we're very fortunate to have Henry Smith joining us shortly. Uh, let's play a little clip, the message that uh, he gave to the community yesterday. Uh, he has himself been to the Jalsa. Uh, let's play Henry Smith's clip and we'll speak to Henry soon after. Hello, my name's Henry Smith. I'm the Member of Parliament for Crawley. I'm also a member of the all-party parliamentary group for the Ahmadiyya community. And I'd like to wish everyone a very happy and successful Jalsa Salana. It's a shame that we can't meet in person still because of the ongoing effects of the pandemic. But it's important that we continue to come together with that message of love for all and hatred for none. Gentlemen, joining us uh, is uh Henry Smith, MP for Crawley. Uh, we just heard a quick message that we were that was played at the Jilsa Slana yesterday. Uh, good morning, Henry. Welcome. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. No, no, it's our pleasure as always. Um, uh, Henry, you've been a uh, member of the APPG for the Under Muslim Community for many years. You've been on our show many a time. Uh, you've addressed the issues of the Under Muslim human rights issues in Pakistan as well when you visited Pakistan. You're a vexologist, an expert on flags, and I learned a lot from you about the white strip. Particularly, you told me about um, being for the uh, created for the minorities, but the Ahmadis unfortunately don't even fit in that. And for many years, you've been a regular um, a vegetarian, if not all your life. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a very very quick run through of my it, life. It, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> and we haven't even mentioned Putin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right, exactly. Uh, Henry, you attended the Jotsa back in, I forget the year now, I think 2017 possibly, and had the opportunity to speak uh, at the event, did you not? Tell us how was that as an experience and uh, what sort of impact the Jotsa itself had upon you? Well, it was a remarkable experience. Um, I was struck by the sheer scale of the gathering. Um, and uh, yet there was a, a great sense of purpose there. Uh, there was a great sense of welcome and of friendship. And I remember it was a beautiful day, much like uh, today is in terms of uh, the weather. And I'm very much looking forward to visiting again in person uh, in the future. Um, very happy to provide a video message, uh, but there's nothing like being there um, yourself uh, to witness uh, what I thought was a wonderful experience. And indeed, and you addressed the audience, I think at the time was around 40,000 uh, standing in front of you, and you, you often mention that to me, that it was quite an experience for you. It certainly was. I mean, that's, that must be uh, amongst the biggest audience uh, that I've ever spoken to, so uh, that's, uh, that's quite uh, some experience. Um, but one, as I say, uh, a sense of um, welcome and friendship. Um, so uh, whilst a little bit nervous, um, uh, quickly uh, made to feel um, really part of uh, the whole group, which was uh, which was a fantastic uh, experience to have. Sure, you you met His Holiness uh, Mr. Ramad, the fifth Caliph of the Amni Muslim community. You attended peace symposiums, you attended the opening of the Noor Mosque. Uh, what have your experiences been meeting him and talking to him? Well, I've had the uh, honour to meet His Holiness on um, two occasions now. Uh, one at the 
uh, mosque in Morden uh, and also at the, at the Nor Mosque, as you uh, correctly say, in uh, Crawley. Uh, and, um, you know, clearly he is a spiritual leader of great thought, uh, of great care. I think when he speaks um, and when he uh, gives his comments on uh, world events, uh, then it's uh, very important to listen carefully to what he has to say. Um, he struck me as somebody, um, as I say, of great uh, of great care and, 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 and thought, um, and um, that's a very powerful thing. So um, it was an honour on both occasions uh, to meet him, uh, and I hope uh, I shall have the opportunity again in the future. We're praying for that as well. Uh, Sheikh Rahman is here with me. He, he attended the APPG, and I think he's got a question to ask you. Um, hi, Henry. Good morning. Uh, the Good morning. A I'm very glad that this time the APPG put forth some very practical suggestions as to how the British government should, should interact, particularly with the government of Pakistan, in, uh, in actually trying to minimize the persecution of Ahmadis in Pakistan, and more importantly, in trying to get the refugees over uh, from countries like third countries like Malaysia, Thailand, Sri Lanka, etc. Uh, have those proposals actually been formalized, and is something being done about it? Well, that's something um, that I'm also a member of the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee of the UK Parliament, and that's something uh, that we have discussed uh, with the chair of that committee, uh, Tom Tuckenhart, and it's something uh, that uh, we have raised uh, with the uh, Foreign Secretary, uh, Liz Truss. Uh, so certainly um, uh, that issue is being actively pursued in Parliament, and You'll remember from that meeting, uh, when was it, a couple of months ago now, I think. It was. Uh, you'll, remember, <clears throat> you, you, you'll remember from that meeting that there were a number of other members of parliament who um, also uh, committed to doing so, um, and I know have been pursuing uh, matters uh, as well. Uh, but it's very important um, uh, that uh, support for the Amity community around the world is afforded because uh, the persecution is really quite shocking in this day and age uh, that is still uh, suffered in countries that um, otherwise uh, we consider uh, to be part of the global community and important parts of the global global community um, so it, it's right that I think the UK particularly given our history uh, plays a part in ensuring that regardless of somebody's background or belief uh, that they should um, uh, be able to um, live in safety. And I think also over the last few months in London, we've had the um, interfaith conference uh, that was held in Westminster. Yes. Um, and again, that, that message is extremely important that um, regardless of, of belief or origin, um, people uh, should be afforded safety and respect. Yes, I think but, but the practical solution is really to get these Ahmadi refugees who've actually been literally languishing in some of these countries. Uh, they need to be brought in under the UNHCR refugee program, and Britain can afford to do so. And it would be good if you, as a member of the of the APPG, and also more, but now more importantly, of the Foreign Affairs Committee, actually get that implemented. Well, that, that is certainly something uh, that we are pursuing because um, having fled persecution uh, from one location to then find uh, yourself, your family stuck uh, in another location, um, also um, often experiencing 
um, discrimination in that location is something that uh, is, is a concern. And as I said earlier on, I think uh, Britain has a particular duty, given our um, history um, in many of these countries, whether it be Pakistan, whether it be India, Sri Lanka, Malaysia and others, uh, obviously um, we have a, a role, a very important role to play in that. Thank you. Uh, Henry joining me also is uh, one of our contributors to the show, Azza. Uh, good friend of Chisti Roman, I believe you know him well as well. And I know him very well. Yes, yes. indeed. Azza, uh, over to you. Yes, uh, so... Uh, uh, Henry, you seem to have a very good relationship with Mr. Arson. Yeah, very, very warm and friendly, and uh, this uh, encourages me that I should also have, with our local MPs, a similar relationship. We have very good relationships. Uh, just one very small question. In your piece, you referred to Liz Truss as the Foreign Secretary. Is that your prediction? <laughs> Well, who knows um, <laughs> what will happen in a few weeks' time, but if, uh, if the polls are to be believed and, and the media, then um, I suspect she will also uh, then be Prime Minister, and we'll, of course, then have a new Foreign Secretary. Um, but um, I'm working on the, the, on the current Messiah, situation. of the Ahmadiyya uh, Muslim Community. Has it? Sorry about that. Sorry, Henry. Carry on. Carry on, Henry. No, no. I, I was. I was. I'm, I'm working on the uh, on, on the um, uh, current uh, people in post at the moment, and uh, we shall see when there are changes in personnel in a few weeks' time. Um, the campaign will will continue with whoever is the new foreign secretary, and indeed who um, is the new uh, prime minister. Uh, and your point about I think relations with local members of parliament that's very important. Yeah, Asan and I uh, have known each other for uh, many years, um, and I think it's important that members of the community engage with their local members of parliament, um, encourage them, uh, for example, to join the all-party parliamentary group if they are not already uh, members, because that's the best way, uh, I think, to have influence over policy uh, and decisions that are made in parliament. Uh, thank you for st uh, sitting on the fence there, Henry, the <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, on, the, on, your, on your new Tory leader, certainly. But thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing your views and thoughts with us. Thank you so much, Henry. It, it's always a pleasure. Have a good day. Have a good day. Have a good day. The Promised Messiah, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed and Humbi states, I pray that may Allah be with all those who are travelling in order to attend this Jalsa. For the sake of Allah, and may he bestow great rewards upon them, show mercy to them, alleviate their states of trouble and tribulation, and remove from them their hardships and sorrows. May he grant them freedom from all afflictions, and enable them to attain that which they desire, and raise them up on the day of resurrection amongst those to whom he has shown his mercy and grace, and so that he may be their protector till the end of the journey. O Allah, O Bestower, Benevolent and Merciful, O Remover of Hardships, hear these supplications of mine and grant us victory over our opponents by aid of great and clear signs. For you are the possessor of all power. Amin and Amin once again. Weekend World Sports Review Welcome back to the Voice of Islam. We've now uh, now been joined uh, by our 
um, sports expert, correspondent, sports yes. correspondent and, and expert in uh, all things sports. Excellent, <laughs> hockey international. Exactly. Uh, Shahid Khan, sir. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Um, just to kick off, I guess on the on the football, I guess you know we we had we had the beginning of the Premier League season and a very early start of the Premier League season. I mean, I think many people sort of uh, double checking their uh, their fixture list <laughs> oh, yeah. because it's it's uh, never this early. Um, however, we saw probably a couple of uh, a couple of those big hitters making a mark and and one or two of them probably faltering um, uh, at the start. You know, uh, having a little problem with the with the with the starting <laughs> with the starting pistol. I, I guess the one that comes out straight away is the Fulham Liverpool score uh, yesterday. How do, how do you think that went? Well, indeed, as you mentioned, this is going to be an odd season. Is the fact they started so early. In fact, the football league starting a week earlier even. Mm. And while in the height of summer, we have talking about football. And like the first fixtures, I think everybody didn't expect that match, uh, Fulham against uh, Liverpool. Fulham, the newly promoted side, and to come up unstuck against uh, Liverpool, un- getting unstuck was unbelievable, especially after the kind of warm-up games that they had, the scores that they had, yeah. and, and also winning the charity shield the week before. So this was very unexpected, and I think this is the uh, standout result from yesterday, as you mentioned. Do you think? I mean, is it is it is it the effect of losing a player like Sadio Mane, or do you think it's just probably one of those, one of those hiccups? Uh, well, Fulham uh, are going to be an odd side and an unpredictable side in that sense. That uh, although they were only promoted this year, and always there's always talk about relegation straight away for them. They're the up and down team, uh, but the uh, Premiership, as we know, has got surprises in it, and this is one of the ones of the season and something that. Club wants to get over very soon, I should imagine. Well, surprised with the Tottenham's four-one win. Well, they go top of the table, <laughs> 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 so so early in the season. Uh, yeah, I think a lot is expected from Tottenham, as we all know, having spent uh, quite a lot of big sums in this uh, in these uh, transfers, uh, and a lot of teams are want to break that monopoly of Manchester City and uh, uh, Liverpool. So. Early days, but I think Conte is saying that he's shaping his side, and this is what it occurs. And they won down. Let's not forget that yesterday, even. And there's a good comeback from them, and so uh, they want to build on it. And Conte is one person who just doesn't get carried away, and that's something uh, that I think he'll want to carry on in the season. I think the other, the other side that probably, I guess, uh, although they weren't emphatic, but I mean, uh, a score that probably points out is Chelsea over Everton. Chelsea also, I mean, you know, they, they've they've had a tumultuous sort of couple of years now. I mean, you know, firstly losing Roman Abramovich, uh, you know, what what can potentially be happening with the new owners, um, essentially do they have a strong enough side? They've always been in that top four category. Um, what what do you what do you make of their future and how do you see them performing this year? Yeah, it's very early days obviously. I mean that's something that you mentioned the upheaval in terms of off the field events obviously has affected Chelsea and mm. I mean the, he wants to sh- uh, break aside Tugel I think and yesterday against Everton, I think they were. I would say they were very lucky to get away with uh, victory yesterday. Everton played quite well, and hadn't been for that penalty, uh, they would have been. I think at least got their points. Yeah. But uh, Chelsea aside, that uh, you can't discount them at this stage. I think they're big spenders as well as we know. Mm. Indeed. What about uh, today's games? Leicester, Man United, Man City, all in play. Yeah, the one the standout one I think is West Ham against uh, Manchester City. That's going to be one of the ones. And having uh, not lost, but at least Sterling has moved away. So how they will shape is an interesting point. With Haaland obviously coming into the picture as well. So that will be interesting as well, and also Manchester City. Uh, oh sorry, Manchester United. I mean, they're the team that 
were perhaps not the ones that where they expected to be at this time of the last year. They had a very odd season, mm. uh, and they won't want to build on it. And the new managers want the people want to impress on the players. So that's what we'll be looking to that uh, result uh, as a matter of course today. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a fall from grace, right, with Manchester United. I mean, you've got sort of, uh, they're even struggling to get players that they want at the moment. They really, I mean, they can't even seem to be picking them in at the moment. Indeed, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, having lost players in the calibre of Rogba and that, and as you said, that people want to go away from, rather than coming into Manchester United, mm. it's a very odd situation. and. and uh, something we cannot imagine in terms of one of the biggest co clubs in the world. We're talking a lot of football in the future, no doubt. The same as <laughs> very quickly, Commonwealth Games, Pakistan's hockey, very poor again. Uh, fifth, sixth in the Commonwealth Games, India in the final. What's going on? Yeah, for me, this was a, uh, for Pakistan was not a disappointment. In fact, oh. they were rated 17th in the world at the moment, and they came up and got some good results, which mm. will do well for the world ranking. They drew with uh, sorry, uh, drew with South Africa. Game I watched in Birmingham, and uh, in fact, South Africa very unlucky to lose against India 3-2 yesterday. So that's how they are very close, uh, little margins in the teams at the moment. And with the Pro League, which Pakistan are not playing in, the, the other teams are going well ahead of them in terms of their st stamina, build-up and so forth, and also the funding. But as you said, Pakistan finished seventh, by the way, uh, which I think, in my estimation, I think they might well have been fighting even below that in this to tournament. Mm. But with that one result against Scotland, I think that helped them to achieve seventh place. But India and Australia, I predicted, well, I think everyone predicted as a final anyway. Yes, indeed. Shahid, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be catching up on all the sports and thank you to all our uh, guests today, Saf. Thank you for joining me. Sheikh Laman, Azhar Ahmadi, Walid Ahmed, Henry Smith uh, and, and our tech team and uh, uh, the management of the Voice of Islam. Thank you very much to everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.